Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Hey folks, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers. Now, today we're talking broader than Amazon. We're talking e-commerce direct to consumer sites, aka Shopify or whatever you want, WooCommerce, BigCommerce, uh, Magento, doesn't matter what the platform is, same stuff applies. Today's guest, Matt Edmondson, we're in the middle of a conversation with him. He's been in this space for 20 years, so he's got a very, very large amount of experience to pull on and he's got a nice knack of keeping it simple whilst respecting the nuances that you need to know. So really really helpful not just if you're building a direct-to-consumer site but if you're thinking of building one or even if you just want to hone your brand building even 100% on Amazon I think you're going to get a lot from today's show so let's plunge in and I hope you enjoy the show it's kind of really so basic that I don't think anyone gets around to it I suppose it's called mystery shopping isn't it I, I think it's really mm-hmm. smart to shop around for everyone and just just kind of sometimes give them a bit of a googly you know as a sort of cricketing hey it's a cricketing metaphor that makes a change from the baseball <laughs> metaphors you step up to the plate give them a bit of a googly I don't even play cricket very well but I played it at school in other words for the Americans listening that means a really strange kind of it's one of those things that, it, that lands and bounces in a really odd direction and the batsman mm. has to be very skilled at handling it so in other words you, you give them a bit of a weird run around in the customer service and see how they handle it it's, it's not a very nice thing to do but I, i'm not sort of trying to toy with other people i think you need to do that and equally i think sometimes mystery shopping if you have somebody employed at your business and you turn up as a, an angry customer and see how they handle it there's nothing like that to see whether mm-hmm. they're actually doing the job yeah um, find out where your problems are real quick yeah <laughs> okay well that used to be called management by walking about i believe like decades and decades ago in other words do stuff and see what people actually do in real life mm. so then we come to the the, the i'm going to skip over any other sort of technical details unless you think there's something really important because no, obviously no, website building is yeah. just huge right but i think we've got great done, stuff there so then the next thing in your list of, of six the third thing is engagement so tell me about that yeah so engagement again think about what's going on here and you can see now the structure and why we've done it the way we've done it we've got product we've got branding we've then started to build a website which works for them and works for us so the third thing we now need to do is when we think about that website we have to make that website as engaging as is humanly possible, okay? Now, you can't do this until you've done phase one, which is branding, right? So engagement is not doing what everybody else does on their website, like putting one of those spinny wheels and you've won a prize. You know, that kind of thing really winds me up. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not engagement. It's it's now, it's writing the copy. It's the it's the videos. It's the, the way you put things on that website, which is going to draw people in and lead them to a conversation 
conversion. Now, you mentioned earlier on Don Miller from StoryBrand, and his framework, I think, is remarkably clever. And in there, he talks about two types of call to action. He talks about the primary call to action, and he talks about the secondary call to action or the on-ramp. So if you're an e-commerce business, right, what this means is your primary call to action is to get somebody to buy a product. Okay, I want you to buy this product right now. Uh, which is cool and awesome. But the reality of it is only about three, four, maybe 5% of the people coming to your website typically are going to buy, which means for every 100 people, there's 95 people not buying anything. And so what we have to do is think about those 95 people as well. Okay. And actually, this is where you can start to make a lot of money because no one thinks about the 95. So what can we do that engages them? What can we do that on-ramps them? So maybe they're not wanting to buy anything, but can I do something that's going to get me their email address? So then I can start to email them, slowly onboard them, slowly start to build trust, figure out where the best way I can help them is to make that sale. And so this is this for me is all about engagement. It's like the primary call to action, getting people to click the buy now button, but also what can I do to get people on ramped? Can I get them to watch a video? Can I get them on a Facebook group? Can I get their email address? What is it I do which makes sense for my target audience? How do I onboard them? How do I start to build that community? I like that. So really, I guess what you're calling engagement is broadly speaking an action that the consumer's taking, but you're including sales as a kind of form of engagement. Yeah. Is that right? That's very interesting yeah. because I guess, particularly in the Amazon world, but I think generally in, in direct marketing on online, because you can, you do, and then it goes wrong. What I mean is this, because we can measure everything and and do generally, I mean, if you're getting lost in Google Analytics, you have my sympathy because I've never been a great friend of that, but the simple version, and Amazon's nice and simple compared to that you know, impressions, clicks, conversions, etc. We forget that that's just a proxy for behavior rather than the thing itself, isn't it? It's a bit like you're mistaking yeah. the map for the territory. And the, 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 the London tube, if you ever come here, the London Underground, folks, does not actually look like the London Underground map. It's a little bit messier than that. And we kind of get confused, don't we? And I think that mm. treating all of it as forms of engagement is really wise because, as you say, everyone's obsessed with the upfront sale. But what we have, I think, on Amazon is an amazing system for getting upfront sales at a startlingly high conversion rate, like 30 40% for some product nobody's ever heard of that's absolutely crazy mm -hmm. what we don't have and i guess what you have in the d2c world is the opportunity to really build a relationship over time and i like the mm -hmm. fact that you're kind of prioritizing that does that's at least that's what i'm taking from that no, what are your thoughts you about what are the kind of classic mistakes that people make in this area then apart from you mentioned the spinning wheel which i totally get what you're saying it's a bit like if you want to sell a newspaper you put sort of you know pornography in it but that doesn't necessarily mean you're engaging somebody's brain in any meaningful way right it's a bit like the lowest common denominator type of marketing so what's what's what are the other mistakes that people make so one of the one of the common things that you see is for e-commerce website owners they're like it's very binary so i've either made the sale or i haven't and this is the one thing they become fixated with very few people have a very clear cohesive strategy for engaging customers who are not ready to buy as i mentioned the 95 the 97 if i could take just a small portion of those and convert them to buyers in the medium term because the you know, e-commerce business owners are very focused on the short, the here and now. I've got someone on my site. Are you buying now? Yes or no? It's very instant. And whilst that's good and whilst that's helpful and it's very Amazon, it's very eBay, you know, we can we can measure that. Um, 
where you can win here, you know, we talked about the digital David's taking on the, the Goliaths. You can do something on your own site that you cannot do on Amazon. And that is you can care about the 95 people that don't buy anything here and there. And for your long-term success, dare I say it, it's in those 95. It's not in the five that buy here and now because they may be buying just because it's an offer. Do you see what I mean? They, there may be a reason they're impulse buying, but those that take their time that are considered purchases, they're going to be probably, I mean, it's totally anecdotal evidence that I have here, but for me, they're going to be your best customers. And so really invest some time and thinking into this on-ramp strategy. That for me is the big thing that people miss. I like that what you're saying about the considered buyers are, are probably your best buyers. I mean, it's, I guess... Uh, as you say, it's kind of anecdotal, but I think in the end, I think I'd rather come back to psychology rather than just data science. And you can blend the two. That's the exciting for me. The exciting mm. thing about digital marketing is is that it's very, very creative, but it's also very numerical. And for me, that floats my boat because I'm a bit of a massive nerd. My wife was saying last night to me, we've been married for three years and together for like seven. So she said, I didn't realize you were quite such a nerd, Mike. I'm like, you should have known by now. <laughs> the funny thing. So so the nerds are winning. I said, look, I, can I just point out that the richest two people on the planet have got physics degrees? But anyway, yeah, so, yeah. so yes, physics and, and numbers, but also the psychology and common sense of being a human being. I've got like, okay, if you just got to know somebody at a school disco and you had a snog in the background, this is very British kind of references, or you had, a, you know, whatever, one night stand with somebody, that's one form of immediate, very concrete, measurable mm -hmm. engagement. And if you're a yeah. teenage boy obsessed with sex, as, as everyone goes through that phase, I guess, some of us hopefully move on from it, then, okay, that's a great thing. But what about love and long-term relationships? Actually, mm -hmm. somebody who's going to have a cup of coffee and then have a drink and then go on a date is probably going to be a better quality long-term partner. And I can't help feeling something of that dynamic, perhaps less intense, hopefully, depending on what you're selling, is, is going to be going on on the website. Because mm. in the end, if people know and care about you, I can't help feeling they're going to come back and be more loyal to you than somebody who just mm. found you. And as you said, like the last thing in the world you want is somebody who's coming to you just because you discount because that just mm. destroys profit. Yeah. Uh, am I, do you think that's, is your instinct to the same as that or what, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. We've done a lot of marketing seminars in effect saying marketing's like dating. You know, mm. you need to think of your website almost like you're trying to court somebody. You know, you're, 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 you rarely do you do a marriage proposal on your first date. You've got to build up to it, right? And so what's that journey? What does that look like for a typical customer? Make that easy for them. I was on a website the other day, and I, I, I can't actually remember the name of it now. It's totally scary. I'll come back in a minute. What I can tell you was it was a plant website. I was looking for a plant. And I had not got a clue what kind of plant I needed, what, what worked in what environment. I, I had in my head what I what I wanted it to look like and where I wanted it to go. And so I was definitely not buying there and then. So that website uh, had this little pop-up which came up at the bottom. I thought it was really great. It said, listen, click here and we'll tell you 10 ways you avoid killing your houseplants or something like that. I thought they have written that article for me because I am the guy that kills the houseplants. So I'm like, I signed up for that. And over 10 days, they sent me an email every day to saying something along the lines of, this is what you don't do. This is or this is how you do it. This is the kind of plan that you're looking for. I thought that was a very simple, clever way to onboard somebody like me who would have bought the wrong thing at that point. 
Yeah, very interesting. And actually, I think one of the things that you have to get skilled at in the Amazon world, but actually probably off Amazon, it's less dramatic, but equally true is really making sure that the wrong person does not buy your product. Because on Amazon, what happens is that somebody buys the product. It's, for example, it's, it's clothing, it's too small. They give you a one star review and they return it. So now you've got no money. You've got a bit of an extra cost, but my God, you've shattered your conversion rate. Yeah. And, you know, and also it's going to make it, you know, and other people are, are even on a less measurable scale are going to feel less well about yeah, your product totally. than they would. So I think, yeah, to avoid people buying things who shouldn't be buying the wrong things is critical. And actually, that's one of the things that doesn't kind of show up, because when you avoid a problem, you just don't see it on the radar at all. You can't measure it. And yet, logically, you've done a good thing. And then the other thing is educating the buyer, which, again, on the Amazon platform, we have no real opportunity to. And, mm -hmm. and of course, the great thing you can do with your own site is masters of education, exactly what we're engaged in right now, and at least in the sort of info information area you know that's a fairly standard thing now it feels like in e-commerce that the the memo hasn't quite made it through some ways hasn't it it's like information we all educate people with podcasts and youtube and whatever and then with e-commerce we just sell them widgets and that's it yeah. and so so we talked about obviously getting a wonderful experience when people get there and engaging them but we've got to now get people there so what's the the, the fourth uh, element in your six-part framework here. Yeah, so that is exactly what you say. It's traffic. How do I get people to my website? Because, you know, you, it's no longer a case of you you build it and they, it just doesn't work like that. Unfortunately, it did, but it doesn't now. And so you've got to think very strategically again about how you're going to get traffic to your website. So the default answer for most entrepreneurs now is to go, right, well, I do Google AdWords and Facebook ads. And I'm like, well, okay, how big's your budget? because that's an expensive thing to do, you know, in terms of customer acquisition, but there's much more to it than that. So, you know, what other things can we think about? What other things can we play with? For example, we started a skincare brand and I wanted to sort of have a bit of a play, you know, could we launch a skincare brand without really spending any money on advertising? And so what we did was we just set a little alert on a bit of software that we had. And anytime someone wrote on Twitter, something to do with their skin, that tweet came upon our feet. And so people were writing things like, oh, I'm having a bad skin day or my skin's feeling really dry or I've got a breakout or I've got this and that. Amazing what people write on social media about their personal lives. Unbelievable. And so we're just like, well, let's just mine that data, shall we? So that data came in and we just literally would sit and reply to them saying, hey, listen, sorry to hear you've had such a crap day with your skin. We've got some great products which we think will help you. And to get you started, I'll send you some free samples just because I, I want to help you or whatever the phraseology is that works for you, uh, just head over to this real special link and use this code and you'll get it all for free. And so they went over, they got their samples free, they tried them and that's how we built the skincare brand. And so I didn't spend money on very competitive Google ads or Facebook ads, not to say that's the wrong thing to do. But what I'm saying is, as well as those two things, there is a whole world out there of other things that you can do that will help with your marketing activities. And so again, Let's go back to the first comment about branding. Where do your target market hang out? Where are your ideal clients? Are they on Instagram? Well, you should be on Instagram. Are they on Facebook? Be on Facebook. This answers the age-old question, what social media channels do I need to do? Wherever your customers are and you can do on a consistent basis, do that, right? Um, because it's all about consistency and it's all about being where your customers are. And if you can do those two things, social media will be good for you. In about 12 to 18 months time, you've just got to go through the pain barrier to get there. It's a bit like my son, who's 
you know, he's kind of university age now and he's he's growing his hair like you do when you get to university. And if you've ever grown your hair long, you will always know. I, I remember this when I was at uni. There was always this pain point, you know, it was just awful for about three or four months when your hair was growing. But once you persevered through it, you did all right the other side. And it's much the same with social media. It's you feel like you're flogging a dead horse for a little while, but then after a while you start to get the breakthrough. We've just been doing YouTube for a new startup. It started 12 months ago. No, just slightly over 12 months. And week in, week out, putting content out on YouTube. Boom, boom, boom. Nothing until about April this year. And it just went boom. And one or two of the videos just captured people's imaginations. And now all that other content is being connected with and so I would say 95% of the views for that YouTube channel have come within the last four or five weeks. And it's just, it just is what it is. Do you know what I mean? You've, you've just got to keep, keep doing it out there. But all of that said, go where your customers are, engage them, get them to come to your website. It's the key to marketing. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, two things reflect on that are really, really good. One is a, such a cool way of marketing. So simple, a very, very direct response, but very manual and simple to, to just monitor what people are saying. And then instead of engaging in some random way to, and then mentioning your site and just saying, here's some solid, solid value, i.e. feel free physical product. So you are spending money, but I think it's very interesting. Like Amazon, as you said, super smart people. I believe, I don't know when it was, 2009, 10, something, they, they took their advertising budget away from the advertising department, whatever it was. Maybe it was mostly, maybe it was most things. I don't know. It's radical enough for Jeff Bezos to have done it and put it into reducing the cost of the products. Mm -hmm. And actually, I believe that over time, that probably made them a lot more profit. And I've really yeah. asked for similar things from Amazon sellers. I said, okay, reduce your PPC budget, but reduce your product cost. And it's kind of the same thing. Product is actually a great advertising medium, isn't it? At a certain stage, I'm not suggesting anyone does this forever because you might get a bit broke. But yeah, as a starting point, I really like that. It's very smart, very, very simple, and yet never heard of that. And the other thing you're saying is uh, that reality check around social media. It's good to hear that because I sometimes think that I've been going mad with, with social media marketing. <laughs> and you think, what am I doing? Am I completely wasting my time? But that 12 to 18 months is on the one hand kind of bad news. But on the other hand, if you've only been doing it for six months, I guess reassuring. Have you got these sort of reassuring words for, for people who are starting off with, you know, whether they've been in business for years? With a social media sort of marketing push, I mean, how do you go through that dip without quitting and how do you deal with that? This is where you've got to find something that you you can connect with uh, and just push on a, on a regular basis. Here's the thing, right? So let's take live streaming. Live streaming is a classic example. You know, I do it, you do a live stream and no one really turns up or asks any questions. But you're not doing that live stream just for the numbers that show up. And this is an important thing. It's never about the numbers, right? I found with things like live streaming, you could have no one show up to your live stream, but a week later, 200 people have watched it. So you're never doing it just for that instant number there and then. You're doing it for the long tail. So you take a YouTube video. I did a video on YouTube, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. It was a long time, maybe even before that, actually. It was, it was before widescreen, actually, the video square format. And it was called How to create an awesome PowerPoint presentation or something equally random as that. That video has had almost a million views on YouTube, right? Seven years later, people are still contacting me because I put my website on the back of that email. And That's so, <laughs> yeah, it's totally random. Now, I never, seven years ago, I didn't think, well, this would be a great lead generation tool. I just did the video and it turns out, you know, here it is. And so, 
When it comes to YouTube, you can persevere, I think, through the pain, for example, knowing that at some point you're going to get those viral hits, but also a video I create today is not just for today. I can use this video for the next 20 years if I do the video right. Do you see what I mean? And so when it comes to e-commerce, if you put a video on your sales page, you know, let's say I'm selling, what's this, a Yeti water bottle, right? So I'm selling Yeti water bottles. Every other website's got a picture of a Yeti water bottle. But this website, my particular website, has not only got an image, it's got an image of me doing this, and it's got an image, it's got a video of me talking about this bowl. People will not watch that video. But the very fact that I've put the video on there makes me stand out. Do you see what I mean? So um, doing social media marketing, doing these things, always think to yourself, it's not just about what happens now or in the next 12 hours. This is helping me build for the next five, 10 years. Yeah, I like that a lot. Always do it for the long tail is, is really wise advice. I, I mean, the long tail is one of those concepts that I think Chris Anderson put the book of that name around 2007 or right. I remember reading that once I was just mm-hmm. getting into internet marketing then. And it's still very relevant. It's actually not dated at all. And I think people still ignore the fact that that's where a lot of the money is. That's why aggregators yeah. like, you know, Amazon, YouTube, whatever, the, the people put stuff together and maybe you only sell 10 units a month or something, but you have, you know, 10,000 of those, you're suddenly doing really well. It's the same concept, right? So yeah, it's good, good to be reminded of that. And yeah, thank you. So anyone out there struggling with the social media dip, that's how to get through it. Just remember the long tail. And so, yeah, what are the ne- the final two parts of your six part? sort of framework so yeah the, the next one the fifth part we call this experience and this very simply is if you think about the first four stages that we've done so far everything has been pixels okay so the website is pixel the engagement conversion the buying of the product the marketing everything has been a pixel they go through they buy the product they've added it to their cart everything up until this point is pixels so at some point, you have to get a real product, unless you're selling digital products, you have to get a real product into the hands of the consumer, okay? And this is where I I genuinely think you can make a massive difference when you compare yourself to someone like Amazon, okay? So Amazon have got this amazing logistics thing going on, and you can order something, and the next day it appears. But it appears in the dullest, most boring brown box ever, And you've normally got complaints about the packaging. No one has ever gone to social media and gone, Amazon, brilliant job on the packaging. Thumbs up. That's awesome. It's almost like Amazon have washed their hands of the whole packaging thing and gone, we don't really care about it. It just needs to be cheap and it just needs to work. Okay. And I think actually, if I think about this water bottle, the first time somebody gets that parcel, that's the first real interaction they've had with me. Everything up until that point has been pixels. Now it's real and so what happens at that point matters and it matters a lot so i guess the best way to explain this is with a story so with our beauty brand we were sending things out in brown boxes with plastic bubbles like everybody else and we thought you know what we need to i wanted i wanted our customers to feel like they were getting a gift when they received the parcel so we changed it we took all of the the logos off the outside of the box and we put this really nice so when you open the box there was this really nice story which just made you feel like ah when you read it on the inside of the box and you saw the parcel was wrapped in tissue paper that cost me a pence generally one p to put the tissue paper in and then when you open the tissue so you you're now starting to feel like you're opening something um and we took out the plastic bubbles and I replaced everything with popcorn. So popcorn became our packaging material of choice. It's lightweight, it's biodegradable, smells nice, and it's just fun. 
right? And it took us ages to figure out how to do this, but we had this mad idea of doing stuff with popcorn. Well, as soon as you stop shipping things in popcorn, everybody is then on social media going, man, I've got this parcel. Look, it's coming popcorn. Can you believe that? And we were getting emails from people saying, oh, me and my son have just sat and watched TV eating this popcorn. And we were like, no, this was not produced in a food safe environment. But you know what? It was producing conversation and it was producing social media interaction. And so now, you know, we're, we're known almost as the popcorn company because that's what we ship stuff in. And I think... I think that experience, that that thing, the way the customer feels when they get the box from you for the first time, you can totally differentiate yourself from all of your competitors, from Amazon, from everybody. You can make that really special and really unique for a way that really works with your target market, with your customers. I love it. That's really, really fun. And it's funny how the silly little details that in, in, in terms of the mechanics of it, but they might be very cheap, like 1p for, for a tissue, or like it's about, I don't know, one and a half cents if you're listening in the States. And it's cheap, and yet it's not easy to come up with the, the idea that in retrospect, it seems obvious and easier, right? So I think mm-hmm. that's uh, hats off to you for that. And the other thing is that strikes me again and again, especially maybe it's more millennial i don't know if that's an overused word but i guess my, my wife is uh, in her mid-30s so she just about class, classifies as that and often people will buy stuff because of the popcorn and the the, the beauty stuff is kind of almost incidental isn't it it's the, mm-hmm. the kind of superficial experience thing is actually kind of the reason people do stuff often these days mm-hmm. i think and actually i'm probably the same i'd probably just have a different version of it i was just thinking i'm i'm plenty capable of being superficial i'm just a bit boring when it comes to packaging but i think some people just love that stuff i do it does make a difference there's a reason apple spend gazillions on their packaging oh god yeah that, it's that's not because something they want to throw the money yeah it's no. not because they want to throw the money away but yeah. no one ever opens an apple product and go oh that was a rubbish opening yeah 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 and also you know what i've kept probably the boxes from my about three iphones for years and years longer than i should have because there's such things of beauty if there's a crime to throw mm. them away so yeah there's some there's an engagement there's a there's an apple box floating around everywhere in my home somewhere because of that sort of you know i can't throw this away this is a work of art so mm. i hear what you're saying and it's another example of the the, the slightly more simplistic way of putting it. it's like if you want to differentiate your product just do the packaging because it's so much cheaper and and you know lighter to transport and all the rest of it but i really like that so that's the the sort of customer experience side what are the other sort of elements that you think people need to look at in customer experience do you you narrow that down to the kind of actual open unboxing experience or what else i mean you've got to look at you've got to look at the opening experience you've got to look at who your shipping company is because they portray on you you know what what's your returns process like how easy is that you know how how do you make that easy for customers but the key thing here, I think, is customer service, right? So what's your customer service like? So 99 times out of 100, most customers won't have the need to contact you if you've communicated well to them. If they bought the product, you've told them it's on its way, you've given them the tracking number, and so on and so forth. They're going to be happy uh, with their product, and they'll write a great review. Occasionally, though, you're going to get people contacting you. They've either got questions about your company or about your product, Uh, You've got questions like, where's my order? Probably the most common question we get asked. How do I return this? Or do you mean there'll be something where people need to get a hold of you? And time and time again, I see websites where they hide their phone number and they force people to use web forms to contact you and you become a number in a queue. Never, ever treat your customers like a number in a queue. Right. Because, again, this is how you differentiate. You put your phone number on the website. You answer the phone when they call and go, hey, how are you doing? 
great that you're here. You know, if they send an email to you with customer questions, you don't just have to send an email back. You could send a video email back. You can do something that is creative, inexpensive, but something that your competitors and Amazon isn't doing. And the reason this is important is because, again, it stops being pixels. People are now interacting with real people. Real conversations are happening. Real conversations are really going on. I was telling the story the other day. There's a guy uh, who used to, I can tell the story now because he doesn't work for me. Anymore. A guy called Greg, a uh, great guy, a good friend of mine. And he started working in customer service. He's now, ironically, he's now trained to be a counselor. But he had a real empathy with people, a real empathy with people. And he just treated them. We have this rule in our office. Customer service is all about treat, giving people the service that you would like, but that we never encounter if you're in the same situation, right? Simple, simple guiding principle. And so Greg did that really well to the point where Greg was sent gifts from people he helped on the phone, right? Customers were sending him gifts on a regular. One customer sent him a cashmere, it was either cashmere scarf or a cashmere jumper. And I'm like, I said that we tease Greg a little bit. I'm like, does your wife know about this? What's going on here? Do you know what I mean that people are buying you gifts? But he he did. He, I mean, don't get me wrong. He wasn't being a flirt or anything on the phone. He was just being genuinely kind and interested in people. And you know what? They sent him gifts as a result. I I was blown away by that. And, that is uh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that's a pretty exceptional person. But I guess the the flip side of that, I would say, is somebody who probably should not be allowed to do customer service at all really certain types of people are not very good at that sort of gentle empathy patience mm -hmm. and I, I would classify myself as one of them and i think that you know if that's you you need to get out of that that chair as early as you can really yeah, yeah. what are your thoughts about that i mean it can can a leopard change their spots in that way or is, is no, it just a question no. and i okay you, you've got to hire the right people <laughs> for the right role and uh with there's a guy who works in our office he's one of the development team and a uh, really great guy, uh, degree in physics again. And I like him a lot, but you never, you never let him loose on the phone with a customer that's got a problem because he is just so black and white. He is so straight. And he, you know what I mean? He's not being malicious or he's not being difficult. He just, it's just that empathetic gene for whatever reason is not necessarily in his makeup when talking to customers. And so we have a rule with him, actually, never just to send, if, if he feels a bit annoyed, he never should send the email. I mean, it's a general good rule for everyone, but definitely for him, do not send that email. Talk to me first and we'll, we'll make sure that the communication is right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would say uh, the thing about emails is that people put a bit too much faith in it because you can kind of put it in an SOP and in a document you think, oh, it's done. But what's really done is the customer's happy as opposed to I've sent an email. Mm -hmm. And again, it's that kind of overly it's funny it seems to be consistent theme that's coming up that over digitization of things i mean the number of emails you send respond to is just a proxy for what you're doing but you're really there to just make people go from unhappy to happy right and if you put it in simplistic terms like that then sending 100 emails that make people angry is really worse than none so yeah um oh, by the way i just want to say that i i've started out of sheer pressure responding to um, my clients i'm in this in a coaching situation but very it's customer service it's customer service with videos rather than emails because it's quicker typing good email takes a while now if you're using templates i guess that the danger is you think i can't access this to somebody in the philippines by the way I, i've got two guys in my team who work in the philippines and i love them so it's not like a downer in the philippines but the, the idea that outsource it cheaply get it off my plate done what are your thoughts? I mean, is it is it a danger for a business to just make things into template emails? Is that something you think you should avoid or can it be done with with care or where are you at on that? 
Yeah, we, that's a good question. I think the fundamental rule is the customer needs to feel like their question has been answered as though you were writing it to them. And the trouble is with canned responses, you can quickly run into a place where that doesn't happen. So I tend to avoid templates as a whole, but we do use snippets. So there may be certain paragraphs that we can repeat. And so rather than just saying, oh, send customer A this template, template B, what we might do is say, right, we've got customer A, we can actually reply to that email with this snippet, this snippet, this snippet, and this snippet. So they get a comprehensive email, which they feel is right for them. And it's probably tailored for them, but it's taken like 20 seconds to, to pull it together, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really smart. By the way, the word tailored gets used a lot as opposed to mass produced. But my understanding, I'm not a tailor, right? but my understanding is you'd, you'd have standard patterns and then you tweak it to each individual person. But you don't start from scratch or like, hmm, how am I going to create a, a suit? Uh, you've got a suit. <laughs> you've got a suit in your mind. You've probably got the, the sort of standard patterns or whatever. You just you make sure that it fits exactly. So I guess you're doing the same thing, aren't you? You're not yeah, you starting from scratch. I, I guess the word tailored, in other words, often means starting from scratch. And my understanding is I've never had a fitted suit from my grandfather did for his job and that's not how they work so uh, it's a very good point and i think you what you put your finger on it is that, again that human question is like does the consumer feel their individual questions have been answered and i i can certainly say like the least good consumer service in the world is probably amazon's you know support for third-party sellers as you all know probably for vendors maybe even worse now and the, the thing that has made me literally shouting angry occasionally has you know shouting down the phone at somebody which i'm not proud of but i'm sure i'm not the only person has been the feeling exactly what you said that i've asked at question a and i've answered a question i didn't even ask just because they're good at answering that because they've got a standard template yeah. i'm like yes i understand that that would be the answer to a standard question but this is a really awkward question and the reason i'm getting in touch with you by definition is because it doesn't fit within sta- and that's the other thing that strikes me about customer service right if it's very standard they probably have figured it out by having a look at your faq page right yeah um it, it, is that is that real i mean i haven't done much d2c customer service so i don't know if that's true in that context no it's totally true uh, it's totally true and i think you know you you've got to treat the people like they're people they've they've got to go away feeling good and if you do customer service right they'll buy from you again even if you screwed up yeah um, because people are concerned people are, people want whatever it is they've ordered but if it goes wrong, they want to feel heard and they want to feel like you're making an effort to resolve that problem. And if you can do that, everybody kind of goes, well, everyone's human. We all make mistakes, but those guys responded really well in that mistake. Therefore, I trust them. I'll buy from them again. Do you know what I mean? You trust yeah. them more. It's a weird thing also I've noticed with Amazon, and again, this does apply in the Amazon world, that there's a much stronger relationship with somebody. And I, I think you can measure it in terms of, you know, if you're going to be a bit, so what's the word, just park your empathy at the door and just be robotic about it, you'll get more five-star reviews from it. But, the, the, mm-hmm. you know, empathetically, it is a stronger bond with somebody who's hurt you and apologized and made it right than there is with somebody who's just done nothing to you at all. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's a, there's a profound truth in there that people just bypass again and again. No, it's so, true. Everyone who's married knows that to be true. <laughs> I guess you're right. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Okay. So being being nasty to my wife makes me bond closer to her. But yeah, maybe I, I better not, not let my wife hear you say that. So the the final point, you mentioned it already. You've hinted at, you know, repeatable business or repeat business, uh, whatever the word is. Tell us more about that. It's obviously a critical part. Yeah. Well. So the final one. So we've gone through all this trouble. We've got the product. We've got the branding. We've built our website. We've got it engaging. We've gone and got the traffic. People are coming to our website. They're buying. We've nailed the customer. Customer service thing. So 
it just doesn't end there. And this is, again, where I see a lot of e-commerce owners fail. The thing that keeps you going long-term is maximizing your repeat purchases, your repeat sales. So how do I get people to go round and round and buy from me again? And that means for you as a business owner, we have this thing called the cycle, where every two months we have gone through each of those five elements at least one week. We spend one week on each element and we go around that every two months to make sure as a business we're doing well in each of those areas. What can we do? What can we improve? What are we learning? What are the customers telling us? Where are we falling down? So on and so forth, asking all those kind of questions. Because by us doing that and going around that, we build this repeatable business. We start to get customers coming back time and time again. To the point now where I have one of the highest repeat order rates in our industry. So, you know, people might go and spend more on Google AdWords than I'm willing to spend to generate the traffic. But I tell you what, they do not have the repeat purchase rate that I have. And so my cost of sales is much lower. Do you see what I mean? And so that's where I think you 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 move from a single use. And this again for me is where Amazon fails. You know, I could sell these on Amazon and I sold it once. How do I sell to that same person again and again and again and again and again? This is where D2C comes in really, really handy. How do I take this? What else could I sell these guys? I could sell them a water cooler. What else could I sell them? I could sell them different colors. I could sell them replacement straws. I could sell them flavored water that goes inside it. I could sell them ice cubes that never melt i can you know i mean you can just go on and on and on and on and it's like how do i get people coming back time and time again how do i upsell how do i cross sell how do i build this repeatable business that is such a critical part of e-commerce and probably one of the most neglected love that and uh, yeah 100 this is the reason to get off amazon really isn't it is i guess a lot of the stuff we've been talking about in terms of relationships seems to be an underlying theme mm. not, not necessarily expecting that I don't, I don't know but it's it's come out and it's really good to be reminded of that and the other thing is yeah that ability to go back to the same people in other words it's more sort of it's not product focus it's kind of cohort focus i suppose or customer focus yeah. isn't it so if, seeing how long that relationship will go for if it's decades if possible and, and how much value i guess both parties can get from it and the other thing that strikes me is what you've talked about is this a continuous improvement like a kaizen kind of process if that's the right word that and that's kind of the secret behind the repeat business in other words no clever hacks it's just getting yeah. more refined at doing a better job over time by analyzing it i, I really like that it's kind of simple but um I mean, tell me honestly, is how how soon did you implement that? Has it taken you a while to get to that, or has that always been part of your oh, business? This is, yeah, this is. I've been in e-commerce since two thousand two, so this is you know eighteen years of learning distilled into thirty forty minutes or whatever it's been. But yeah, it, it's taken us a while to do it and to do the cycles, you know, and going around that that conversation again and again and again internally as a team. That took us a you know we've been doing that a few years now, but it took us a little while to get to that point to understand that. So these these are things that you know we we, we learn over time and we implement them, that's for sure. Yeah. I guess it's nevertheless something there's nothing to stop anyone implementing that earlier if they have learned from you in, in this podcast, if nothing else. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.